0: Professor Allen's Comics Reading Journal for the month of October 2021. Welcome Episode 77 of this podcast series, aka Work from Home Journal number 20, or Darn You Supply Chain Issues, Journal. The concept of the show is to just have a brief chat about whatever comics I've read since the last time we did one of these episodes. Which should make this pretty much, if you squint, the books I read during October. These books are listed weekly in blog posts at eyesandearsblog.blogspot.com, and I regularly repost them on my Facebook and Twitter, so you can find those. But those posts aren't really spoilers for the podcast, since those are just lists. And here, there's a little more review, a little more critique, and a little more discussion. But first, a little feedback. And we heard from Count Darren of the Sutherlands about the episode before last. Hi, Professor Allen, Oh, should I now call you Professor Power? That would be nice. I've had a busier-than-expected September and just realized it's the final week of the month and I haven't listened to your comics reading journal, and I knew I must complete it before the month is over. It was interesting to hear your thoughts on those cross gen comics. I remember seeing them on the shelves long ago, but never picked any of them up, so it was fun to hear you talk about them. I was a fan of both the Robocop movies and the Terminator movies back in the day, and read many of the spin off comics, including Robocop vs. Terminator. I must say that I laughed quite a while at your thoughts. <laughs> I like. Lots of American mythology books, including the ERB titles, Zorro, and several other humor titles, too. I'm actually a fan of the Three Stooges, and have all their films on DVD, but surprisingly, I haven't picked up one of the comics yet. I'll have to remedy that. As you know, I'm a fan of anime and manga, and liked your thoughts about Bushido. I remember reading quite a few American-made manga and anime-influenced comics, from independent publishers back in the 80s and 90s. I think one of the reasons was because anime was growing in popularity, but publishers weren't sure American comic readers were ready for the very different pacing and even the right-to-left format. That's just my theory. If you would like to give me some grant money, I'm sure I'll put it to good use with some in-depth comic research. You know, it's funny you should mention that, Darren, because I am actually on the research committee this year, but I'm pretty sure that our university funding is only available to professors at the university. But sure, yeah, I'll look into that for you. Both Viz and Dark Horse did eventually start publishing a few licenses, including titles from Rumiko Takahashi, as well as the fun series, Oh My Goddess, and found out Americans were definitely ready for manga. Now the manga industry seems on track to outsell American comics in the USA. A very dramatic turn in a short period of time. Thanks for another great episode. As always, take care and have a great day, my friend Darren. Thank you for that feedback. I have had surprisingly good luck with American mythology books as well, and I believe we have designated next March as Hashtag Global Comics Month, and for that I will read a few issues of manga. The Twitter post for last episode included a cover of a Warlord issue, and the Twitter for Darren and Ruth's Warlord Worlds podcast approved. Charlton Hero said that he loved Warlord, and remembered buying that specific issue in mint condition and thinking he had hit the jackpot, which he had. Ed Moore said he appreciated the boom addiction shout-out, of course. Sir Luke of the Upstate brings together two of his favorite interests in this message, comic books and Euro heavy metal. Professor? Hearing your hashtag Fantasy Comics Month literary exploits brought to my mind some lyrics from the Halloween song, Keeper of the Seven Keys. Put on your armor, ragged after fights. Hold up your sword, you're leaving the light. Make yourself ready for the lords of the dark, they'll watch your way. So be cautious, quiet, and hark. Fantasy whether it be of the high or low varieties, sword and sorcery, fairy tales, ancient worlds, urban fantasy, and so forth, is to me one of the most perfectly suited genres for comic books. The ongoing nature of American comics suits long, sprawling epics, and the trappings of the genre can easily be presented with pencil and ink. Larger-than-life heroes and heroines are part and parcel of the medium, as are creepy monsters and weird enemies. Roy Thomas was onto something when he thought that Conan and other barbarian characters would be a good fit for four-color comics. I really dug your mix of more expected titles, such as Warlord and Sword of the Atom, along with less mainstream but still fantastical books like A Distant Soil and Elfquest. I remember reading about both of those, when I was an impressionable teenager. But back then, for me, it was superheroes or bust. As such, they are both on my ever-growing to-read list. You know, once I finish all 300 issues of Cerebus. I had intended to partake in Fantasy Comics Month, with plans to read some issues of various Cull series, Arach and Warlord, and of course, DC's Crazy Go Nuts, six-issue epic Beowulf Dragonslayer, the greatest comic book ever published. Editor's note, other than Doom 2099. Alas, it was not to be as my schedule and current glacial reading pace conspired against me. For what it's worth, I'm reading the fantasy novel Dragons of Autumn Twilight by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, the first installment of the long-running and extremely popular Dragonlance series, part of the D&D multiverse. Well, Luke, I too sometimes partake in books without pictures. So I'm allowing that. As an aside, Luke continues, I too am sad to hear of the end of Giant Days. I've enjoyed hearing your take on this slice-of-life series, and I have it bookmarked on Hoopla. What month is that genre again? That's a good question, Luke. I think Slice of Life maybe like superheroes. Every month is right for those. Looking forward to all the spooky stuff next month. I myself have broken out Showcase Presents Ghosts Volume 1 and my reprints of the first five issues of EC's The Haunt of Fear. Here's hoping I can find time to actually read them. Thanks. Luke. No, 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 my friend. Thank you, Luke. Drew from Comics for Fun and Profit said he agreed with me about the last issue of The Many Deaths of Layla Starr. I also think I enjoyed it. That was exactly my take. And Sir, Sir Martin of Grey, said it was lovely to have a new comics reading journal then realized with shock that he did not offer feedback on the episode prior to that. A Jack Kirby special? I'm there. Except that I wasn't. You are allowed to take vacations, Bart. Literal, actual vacations like you did that month, and also vacations from leaving feedback. But he did have thoughts on the September episode. I'm glad you enjoyed the Atlantis Chronicles. I finally decided to buy the lot in a comiXology sale a few years ago and managed to read a whole issue. It’s very pretty, and I imagine it worked very well in terms of narrative themes and characters. But I found it really boring. Also, so much lank wet hair. <laughs> I adore Gil Kane’s art, and the shock of Gene Loring's cheating grabbed me. But then, sort of the atom was all titchy barbarians. What’s the point of the atom when he spends all his time? at the same size as everyone else in the entire book. Anne wears a loincloth over a full bodysuit. and rides frogs! Give me power of the atom any day. I think we're starting to get Martin's feelings about fantasy comics, but he continues. I once read an issue of ElfQuest. Maybe fantasy books aren't my thing. You think, Mart? You think? I did enjoy Conan under Jam DeMatisse and Bruce Jones's Kazar. CGI backgrounds and mixed media backgrounds. Didn't Shatter have them? Mind, that had computer foregrounds too. If the comic you read, Pathfinder, was regular art but CGI backgrounds only, that sounds most distracting. Thank you, Mark. First off, on the CGI, yes. Uh, Shatter was fully digitized, fully computerized comics. And it was the mix of CGI and traditional comic art that threw me off that other comic. I think it was Pathfinder, yes. And that is the downside of all this alternative comic stuff. I am committed to that, but I understand that comic book fans are predominantly superhero fans, including me. Some genres will work for more comic books than others, again, including me. And for some, those sections will not be quite as long as the one for fantasy. I do wonder if fantasy is the most divisive of these genres, maybe along with war. I guess we'll see. I mean, in terms of the types of comics that you either like or you can't stand. And when this rolls around again in 2022, Mart, you might want to pencil in September for your next long vacation. (laughs) Because that will, again, be Fantasy Comics Month. And we have the triumphant return of...
1: I am Michael Bailey.
0: Yes, Mike. Yes, you are. Professor, even though you gave me an excused absence, I did miss the August edition of the show. So my bad on that. I would argue that every episode is August, just not in a monthly way, more on a play of words sort of way. I'll show myself out at the end of this email. (laughs) Despite that comic, Mike, no, we more or less still missed you. Anyway, he continues, I regret not participating in the August Kirby Month fun. I've told you before of my appreciation for his work, Next year, I'll try to be more on the ball. The Atlas first issue special is insane but fun, which describes most of Kirby's 70s DC work. I also enjoyed the Manhunter issue, which felt like the pilot to a short-lived but fondly remembered adventure series, probably starring James Brolin or someone trying to be like him. <laughs> a show that we know Andy Leyland would have loved. I heard that Dr. Ange mentioned that Atlas was part of the World of New Krypton storyline from 2008 to 2010. Another first issue special alumni, Codename Assassin, also played into that story, proving once again that first issue special mainly existed to give James Robinson characters to use in the 90s and the aughts. Oh, from interviews I've heard with Mark Wade, another issue with CrossGen was the guy who owned it. Apparently, he was terrible to work for, and Wade based a character on him in Superman Birthright. So it had more problems than just a bad business plan. Great episode, as always. Glad you had so much fun with your fantasy reading. Take care, Podcastings. Michael Bailey. Thank you for those insights and that bit of comic knowledge that I did not know. And social media support for last episode came from Clinton from Coffee and Comics, Manuel Carmona from Truthful Comics, Big Frank, Tim Price the Podcrasher, Karen from Between the Pages, James Williams from Karen, Sir Iowa's Joe, one of the 21st Century Boys, Robert Ludwig, The Most Sane Man Among Us. Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army. Mark Radulich, Billy D, from Magazines and Monsters. Dave's Comic Heroes blog, The Telltale Mind. Chris Lydon, Siskoid, Scott Santorelli. Chris from Professor Frenzy, It's a Show. Voice actor, Gene Hendricks. King Dinosaur, Dr. G, The Man of Nerdology. Del Dracula, Vic and Phoenix, and our reigning listeners of the year, the Sutherlands from the Rad Adventures Network. And now, on the books that I read last month, as I do on this show, I'm categorizing these books. And first are the issues that I read specifically for podcast appearances, the homework books. For Quarterman 174, I read Batman, Gordon's Law number 1. I liked it enough that when hashtag Crime Comics Month rolls around next year, I plan to knock out the rest of the miniseries. And for the next issue of Doomspeak, I read The Thing number 12, although that episode has been pushed back another month. And I have a batch that is sort of a follow-up for a recent pair of quarter bins and then also a comics reading journal, I guess. Where I read more from that line of characters, the MLJ characters. Uh, These were from Manuel Carmona, The Web 1 through 5, from the DC version of the license, 2009 and 2010. You may remember from my various discussions of those books that I read that The Web was pretty much my, and some listeners as well, least favorite title in almost any version or run. And this one was a slight improvement. This was Webb in the high-tech online meaning, which also had a franchise concept for the suit and the powers, a bit like Batman Incorporated. Of course, I like that. I like the business aspect of the character, of the concept. He has as many problems with his franchisees as he has with villains. I like that this interacted with the greater DC universe a bit. Again, it wasn't great, but it was an improvement over every other take on the web that I've read. Now, the backup story in these issues featuring the hangman, that was really solid. In this take on that character, Robert Pickering makes a deal that saves him from the noose 150 years ago. And ever since, he has lived the divided life. By day, he saves lives as a surgeon. By night, he saves the innocent and condemns the guilty as the supernatural avenger, the hangman. And yeah, I know what you're thinking, and I totally agree. That totally sounds like Dr. Ange. and comics I read for listening to podcasts, and they're getting to be a good number of these most months because of DC Infinite app. And I love following along with comic book podcasts if I have the chance, and the DC app gives me more opportunities to have that chance. And of course, thank you, DC Comics-themed podcasters. So to listen along to the unnumbered episode 258 of From Crisis to Crisis, Co-hosted by Podcastings Michael Bailey, or Adventures of Superman 538 and Superman 115. In these, Lois leaves Metropolis, which means that she has also left Clark. And then Superman gets some counsel? Advice? From the Harries in the Mountain of Judgment? That was an unexpected turn. And to listen to episode 52 of the Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace podcast, I went very old school and read Comic Cavalcade number 8 from 1944. Angela only covered the Wonder Woman story, of course, but I read the whole thing. And of the stories, I think the best one probably was that Wonder Woman story, although it wasn't all that great. Hop Harrigan was okay, but Green Lantern and The Flash... The others, they were less than. Though I do have to admit that some of the half-page Mutt and Jeff gags, some of those weren't bad. And to listen along with episode one of season two of Herman Lowe's Long Box of Darkness podcast, I read Swamp Thing. This is volume one. Issues nine and ten, a strange couple of stories, including Swampy running across... An alien being. Some very appropriate October hashtag Horror Comics Month reading. And to listen along to a recent episode of Shag's Justice League Blah 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 podcast, I read Justice League Quarterly number 1, which he covered on the show with our good friend Sir, Sir Martin of Grey. And for listening along with episode 29 of the Longbox Crusade, I read Blue Beetle number 1 from the new 52 era which was a title that I was not reading at the time. And to listen along with Billy and Herman on their podcast, A World of Fire, episodes 19 through 21, I read All-Star Squadron 27 through 30, which featured a story that included Dr. Fate, the Spectre, and Sargon the Sorcerer. It was magic-tastic. We also had a story told by The Shining Knight, about an early adventure of the Seven Soldiers. And for listening along with Tim Price, the Podcrasher, on his new Outcasters show that he does with Ashford and Sarah, episode 18, I read Batman and the Outsiders 17, where Metamorpho's past comes back to haunt him in ancient Egypt. And for listening along with Laurel, a.k.a. Mountainflower One and her crew, on episode 61 of the Hunters podcast, I read from the 1994 Chuck Dixon miniseries The Huntress 3 and 4, a gritty, grimy crime story based around Huntress's family's past in the mob. And I liked this story, this miniseries, way more than any of the hosts did. I like Helena Bertinelli a lot, and I think Chuck Dixon is very good at writing crime slash mob slash action type of stories. And on to the new comics that we read right off the shelves. The shelves are digital, by the way, but we do have three. I read these off of Hoopla because Boom puts at least some of their titles on the service, sometimes the day of release, sometimes within a week or two. So I read Something is Killing the Children, number 20, which wrapped up the origin story of our protagonist, Erica. And we finally learn how she fully became the monster hunter, Erica Slaughter. We actually learn a lot about the inner workings of the various monster hunting houses, how the different colored masks work. It's nice to have some questions like that answered. This is the end of this title, at least for now. But the story does continue in the upcoming House of Slaughter series. And at the end of the month, we got House of Slaughter number one, where we see the monster fighting and monster fighter training process from Something is Killing the Children, but without Erica as our POV character. She's in there briefly, but so far, this is not her story. And I'll be honest, after just one issue, this story is not quite as compelling as Something is Killing was, perhaps because Erica herself was quite a compelling character. But slow burns are the way of things these days, and as long as these keep showing up on Hoopla, I'll keep reading them. I am still intrigued about the series. And I read the latest issue of the Keanu Reeves comic, Berserker, number five. In this one, we get more with the lady scientist who has been studying the Berserker, pushing him on his emotional life, lives, the millennia that he has lived. And we get a hint that maybe she discovered something, something of interest to the people she's working for. These issues are quick reads. They're not real deep. They hit on one plot point per issue, pretty much. But I think, again, I'll stay along for the ride and keep reading this Again, as long as they keep showing up on Hoopla. And on to the general comic reading that I did from Laurel Mountain Flower of the Hunters Podcast. I read from Image Hammer of the Gods, Hammer Hits China, number one, in which Odin walks down the world tree to visit Earth and, through no real intention, ends up in China and goes to battle with the spirit beings. Dwelling There. Interesting Issue by Michael Avon Oeming and Mark Wheatley. I met Wheatley at the Baltimore Comic Con a few years back and had him sign my issue of Mars number one. Anyway, this one, Hammer Hits China, strange but fun read. And from Sir Martin who sent this in a while back, but when I saw the cover flipping through the stacks, I just had to read this one now. Teen Titans 52 from 2007 featuring the Titans and the JLA battling the newly minted movie star Starro the Conqueror. First he conquers Hollywood and then the rest of the Earth. It was an issue that was dramatic, angsty and adventurous. And from the care package I got recently from Manuel Carmona of Truthful Comics and the nonprofit effort Comics for Christmas I read from just a year or two ago, Moon Knight Annual Number 1. I have a soft spot in my heart for the character from reading the original run by Mensch and Sinkevich, And although I haven't dug every iteration of the character since then, this one worked as a one-off complete story. It is basically Khonshu versus Kang, the battle across time and space. Cullen Bunn wrote it, and it's pretty good the combination of Manuel and Sir Rob Lance. I read Secret Origins 4 and 22, Firestorm, and all of those Manhunters. The Firestorm one was interesting, the origin being told from Martin Stein's perspective. Again, an interesting take. And the Manhunters, that one had a couple of difficult tasks. One, tying all of the DC characters named Manhunter together in one story. And two, this was a millennium issue. Nuff said. From Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, a few issues that he sent in that were Kickstarter books. Koru, The Black Lion, Number One, by Nuno G and Claudio Munoz. This tells the sci-fi origin of a meteor falling in the Wabizi Valley and the Black Lion born a few months later. An outcast who costs the tribe food Kourou was banished from the tribe. This is a reimagining of a public domain character who first appeared in Cyclone Comics No. 1 in 1940. Good read. Good start to an adventure. Noir 2 and 3. A superhero tale taking place in the aftermath of a significant hero versus villain battle after which the world governments crack down on all superactivity. One of the heroes seems to have come out of retirement looking at him. He is pretty much close to retirement age, actually. It's a cool world, a good story, and I have to say, because this is not always the case with independent comics, with crowdfunded books, but these looked very, very professional. And another book from Kirk, but this one was a a physical, actual book, a floppy, some might say. And then one also from DC Infinite that I read to finish up the story, Mr. Miracle 19 and 20. 19 was even coverless, which to my eyes just adds to the value. This was from the Engelhart Rogers take on the character toward the end of the, the run of the 1970s title. Two fun issues with Scott Free always managing to find himself in death traps to escape from. Lots of new gods stuff, of course, including Barda and Oberon, Granny Goodness, and even Dr. Bedlam and Vermin Vunderbar. Pretty wild, weird, and good stuff. And from the three for a dollar bins down at Carolina Comics and More, from when I was able to visit my dad in March, I read The Amazing Spider Man, number two. No. This is not the one from Leon Ditko. That one would probably cost a few more cents than thirty three. This is the nineteen ninety nine version, otherwise known as Legacy No. four hundred forty three. This is Howard Mackey, John Byrne, and Scott Hanna, and it features Spidey battling Shadrach. But it's not Peter in the suit, it's Maddie Franklin, who I know almost exclusively from the now retired iOS Spider-Man Unlimited game. Good to see her actually in comic book action. And from the 50-cent bins at Pulp Reality, I read Marvel Double Feature No. 7 with reprint stories featuring Captain America taking on the Tumbler and Iron Man battling the Melter. I like the Cap story more because that one also involved the Adaptoid who first battled the Tumbler, but even with his adapted body, He couldn't then defeat the original Tumblr, but you know who could? The actual Captain America. Heck yeah! And some kids' books that I read. Many of these from Sir Rob Lance and also some from Pulp Reality or Hoopla. I read in addition to those that I will cover later in the episode. Archie Annual number 2 from 1950. Porky Pig 54, Jughead 170. Richie Rich, 188, Betty's Diary, 13. Treasure Chest of Fun and Fact, Volume 10, Issues 8. And Volume 22, Issues 6 and 12. And the World of Archie, Dollar Digest, Number 69. That last one, the Double Digest, was an Archie monthly free download, which Sir Luke Giaconetti reminded me of and sent the link to. Thank you, Luke. The Porky Pig Issue wasn't at all bad. He and Bugs getting into some fun and entertaining shenanigans. And one issue, well, one panel really, of Treasure Chest deserves mention. This is a faith-related publication from a Catholic publisher. And big thumbs up to them for a sci-fi story in the June 1967 issue, June 1967, that had a very diverse team of astronauts. Good on you, treasure chest. Not really a lot of kids' books this time, in this section at least, but later in the episode we will discuss a number of issues starring a certain teenage witch. All right, time to take a break here, and when we come back we'll talk about graphic novels, trade paperbacks, long runs, and seasonal spooky reading that I did in October.
1: Need a podcast talking about weird stuff? Well, then we've got just the thing for you. Into the Weird, a podcast chronicling the madness and magnificence of the mighty Marvel Bronze Age of Comics, featuring the voice talents of Mr. Billy Delicious, Mr. Herman Hellstrom Lowe, Hey there! And straight from the long box of Darkness, His Infernal Majesty Dormammu! How you? And many more! But wait a minute! You might be thinking, aren't all comics infused with a grain of weirdness? I mean, Reed Richards can stretch every single part of his body, right? And why did Ultron design the vision with working genitalia? Well, you would be correct, but Into the Weird isn't just any regular comic book show, folks. We focus on the really bizarre. Here are a few examples. A sword and sorcery barbarian grown spontaneously from a jar of peanut butter. A duck running for President of the United States. Benjamin Franklin playing hide the sausage with Doctor Strange's girlfriend, Clea. A giant-sized man-thing lamenting the death of a clown.
0: A serial killer obsessed with killing only fools, dressed as cavalier with laser guns after witnessing a priest fornicating
1: and so much more. So if you like the wonderful weirdness of the Bronze Age from 1970 to 1985, and characters such as Ghost Rider, Morbius, The Defenders, Man-Thing, Son of Satan, Skull the Slayer, Killraven, Howard the Duck, and the weird granddaddy of them all, Dr. Stephen Strange, then this is the show for you. ITWs on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Tunian. Hit subscribe and join us for a comic-filled jaunt into the weird. And we're
0: back to talk about trades, long runs, miniseries, and seasonal reading that we did last month. And for October, that means some Halloween-themed horror-style comic books. Many of the ones I'll talk about here were sent in a while back by the generous Canadian Rob Lance or other kind listeners, and they got a little help from Pulp Reality. A few more were supplemented by the DC app. Other sources will be noted. Many of these physical issues were falling apart, which is Rob Lance's particular specialty. So listed more or less in alphabetical order Here are the books I read specifically for hashtag Horror Comics Month. And one day in the middle of October, Mrs. Quarterman and I went out on a hot lunch date. And like most hot dates, you know where that one ended. That's right. A used bookstore. Wait, what what were you thinking? So, at Half Price Books... I traded in a handful of novels and got store credit of around $2.20. Sadly, half price gave up on quarter boxes about five years ago. Shortly after, Shag and a crew of us spent some quality time at one of their locations here in town. Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I just figured out why they stopped doing that. Anyway, their cheapest books these days or a buck, and I figured the math, and even with the tax, I could get two dollar books and still walk out of that store with a couple more pennies than I had when I walked in. And there were a couple of epic D.C. Bronze Age books, including Beowulf number 4, a series that many love, including our good friends Dr. Ange and Sir Luke, And I know what you're thinking. Wasn't that a book for last month? Hashtag Fantasy Comics Month? Well, normally, yes. But this issue had three magic words on the cover that convinced me that it belonged right here, right now. Beowulf meets Dracula. And this was basically the origin story of Dracula. On the last page, Vlad Tepes, the Impaler, is killed. But Satan causes him to arise as the king of the human vampires that will walk the earth for eternity. I had heard that Beowulf was totally bonkers. Let me just say, this particular issue, it was totally bonkers. Clive Barker's The Harrowers, number one. Raiders of the Abyss, ripped from the pages of Hellraiser. All of those words are on the cover. This is branded as an epic comic, but came out at the same time as the Razor line comics which were based on Barker ideas or concepts. I've read some of those. They were more often more enjoyable than this was, at least for me. Gene Colin's pencils were the highlights of this issue. Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme 13, 18, 19, 20, 36, 48, 54, and 58 through 61. All of these are from the 90s run, and a good chunk were given to me by Manuel Carmona. This batch includes an Acts of Vengeance crossover. The event that will not leave me alone. Also, an excellent vampire story featuring Varna the first Lord of Vampires. The Doc's brother was also turned into a vampire, and so he hung out with Morbius for a bit. Even Brother Voodoo appeared in these issues, as did Adam Morlock and Gamora. In these, the Doc battles Dormammu, Nightmare, Eternity, and Satan-ish. I like that that last guy wasn't quite Satan, just Satan-ish. And the last four issues, 58 through 61, was a nice little run, which began the crossover storyline The Siege of Darkness, which ran through the Midnight Suns series of Morbius, Ghost Rider, Spirits of Vengeance, Darkhold, and others. Weirdest thing about those was that every ad—I think this was the case in issue 60 in particular—every ad, save for the house ads, Every outside ad was for Adventure Vision Gaming, specifically the game Dragon Strike. Seeing that over and over every few pages, sometimes for two or three straight pages, it was like reading a second feature or a subplot within the Doctor Strange storyline. This batch of issues represents about four years of stories and Some of the storylines and crossovers were, of course, stronger than others, but there's a nice range of stories here. We have Clea, Rintra, Wong, all the supporting characters you'd expect. Interesting, pretty good run of issues with some nice bits of eerie and creepy and horror, albeit ones that cross over into the greater Marvel U quite a bit. Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror 1, 2, and 5 from Ahoy Comics. Like so many horror books, these are anthologies with two or three stories each. The gimmick of this one is that the horror host is Poe himself, and that the stories, because they are from just the last few years, are even more extreme and gross and yucky than the stories from the Comics Code era. Maybe more akin to the glory, gory days of EC. Different style from the older anthologies from the 60s and 70s, again more modern for sure, and you could probably argue that these are better comics in a lot of ways. But deep down, I think I kind of like the older ones more. Such as, from DC Comics, and from Sir Iowa's Joe, Ghosts 13, 30, and 46, again, anthology books, three or four stories each. Of these, my favorite two were the one featuring the Lincoln Ghost Train, and also one with a very young Charles Dickens being haunted by ghosts that would eventually inspire the ghosts of A Christmas Carol. I mentioned earlier in the year that I started reading some Hellboy for the first time, and I thought about reading some more back a couple of months ago and told myself, no, save it for a few months, save it till October. So from the second omnibus... I read The Third Wish 1 and 2, The Island 1 and 2, and Into the Silent Sea. In The Third Wish, Hellboy ends up at the bottom of the ocean, battling monsters down there, and meeting real mermaids. Very cool and interesting story. And The Island and Into the Silent Seas continue the journey of an ocean-bound Hellboy, seeking answers and wisdom and revelation and getting only battles and monsters and grief for his troubles. Lots and lots of grief, actually. All of this occurs in the aftermath of Hellboy leaving the Bureau. I liked the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner vibe in these stories, the nautical elements. Very entertaining. Very, very well written. Marvel Team-Up, number seven from 1998, from Laurel in which Blade breaks out a vampire from prison to save the rest of the prisoners. But Spidey isn't too sure about that plan, so they fight, work things out in a pretty ninety sort of way, and at the end of the issue, go their own ways. Now, you may know the name Mary Shelley as one of the most successful monster authors of all time, but according to this comic from Aftershock, From 2019, which came to me via Sir Iowa's Joe Crawford, her title should be Mary Shelley Monster Hunter, number one. In this issue, we get the historical setup of Mary and her husband, the poet Percy Shelley, and their friends, and their bet to see who could could come up with the scariest story. In this fictionalized version, they end up spending a night at Frankenstein Castle And in Investigating Strange Bumps in the Night, on the last page, Mary Shelley runs into Dr. Frankenstein. Dr. Victoria Frankenstein. Good setup, dramatic ending, very fun issue. Pep Digital 107, Sabrina's Magic School, and Pep Digital 26, Sabrina, 50 Magical Stories. Halloween, in general, is a common topic for Archie stories. I joke that it's one of the four seasons that happens in Riverdale, back to school, Halloween, Christmas, and summer. Those seem to be the only four times of the year. And, of course, in Sabrina, you have the perfect Halloween character. Both of those were very fun collections. And those uh, Pep Digital collections led me to grab the earliest issues of the 1971 series, Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, 1 through 10. These are giant issues, which for a floppy means 48 pages. They're a little bit more, you know, obviously serious is not quite the right word, but these are more like life with Archie stories. There's some adventure in here, usually an 11 or 12 page, sort of horror-tinged adventure story to balance out the wacky and the humorous stuff. It is an interesting mix. And it does make this title stand out from much of what Archie was offering around this time. My favorite one was Sabrina and the Archie gang helping a poor youth who stole the hubcaps from the Archie's band van. And they helped set his family on a different path. Many, many stories about Sabrina not being a good witch, i.e. being a good person, and getting into trouble for that. Those led me to the early 2000s series, and I read Sabrina, 36, 55, 61, and 82. The early 2000s are not my favorite era for Archie Comics. Character models were all changed, and this era of Sabrina was based on the TV show, but not with the likenesses, except for Melissa Joan Hart's picture, which appeared in the corner box of the issues, which just added to the confusion. Now, of these, I have to say issues 61 and 82 stand out because it was part of a very long run where Sabrina went for a manga style to the art and the stories. And at least in those issues, the sort of off-model art made sense to me. It, 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 It worked in that setting. And from Gold Key Direct, from the late 60s into the early to mid-70s, Ripley's Believe It or Not, 10, 16, 27, and 63. One of these was subtitled True Monsters and Demons, and the other three were true ghost stories. Ripley's Believe It or Not was for a long time a really well-known brand, a long series of comic strips, comic books, plenty of other places as well. It's kind of a shame that that name pretty much means nothing these days. Among these ghost stories, my favorite one, for reasons which will become clear as I explain it, was the university founder and benefactor whose will required that after his death he be stuffed and his remains be present at all college board meetings. Make your own joke about brain-dead professors or associate deans, but like I said, That one really spoke to me personally. Uh, The Shadow 10 and 11 from the DC version of the title from the 1970s. I remember in the early 70s, our whole family listening to old radio shows of The Shadow. I don't know if that was on like a public radio station or if this was from old records from the public library. But The Shadow and Lone Ranger are distinct, memorable parts of my childhood. And these two stories by Denny O'Neill fit right into that pulpy mode. Good reads, especially number 11, which brought in The Avenger from Justice Incorporated. And they were not pleased to work together. They did not trust each other one bit, even after concluding a successful mission. And from the DC Infinite app, which has been adding more and more of the horror books over the years... I read a complete run of a series that I don't know I'd ever heard of before. Tales of Ghost Castle, one through three. Three stories in each one, sometimes with a humorous one-pager. All hosted by Lucian, who I know just from Sandman, I think. These were not great stories. It tried to be lighter, I think, but only one story out of the nine really worked for me, and that one... Scientists are studying snakes and and venoms, and the lady scientist ends up drinking one of her highly untested serums after being bitten, and it turns her into a snake. And her boyfriend, the other snake scientist, just tosses her into the snake pit with all of the others. Torture. And from a Marvel Essentials, in classic black and white, I read The Tomb of Dracula 26 through 30, and also Giant Size Dracula 2, 4, and 5. I read Giant Size 3 last year sometime, so I skipped it in, in this read-through. Excellent stuff in here, of course. Gene Colan's art is eerie and atmospheric, of course, and is even more so in the black and white. A nice range of stories with Dracula in his proper evil attitude. No a sympathetic villain here. He is the Prince of Darkness and loving it. There is a run in the regular Tomb of Dracula series that includes a storyline of Dracula falling in love, a situation that ends tragically, although in a different way than I expected. And we even get a brief appearance from Blade in one issue. All in all, dramatic stuff, a compelling lead character. And of course, like I said before, in black and white, these stories are especially. Excellent. And a Kickstarter book that I got from Kirk Spencer, Vicious Circus, Halloween Special 2021, a very good, creepy little tale about a town in which children have disappeared during Halloween over the years. But this year, they are finally going to catch the bad guy. Or are they? And lastly, Weird Mystery Tales number 12 from DC, from nineteen seventy four, this one sent in by Sir Rob Lance, has three stories in it, and by far the best one is the Jack Olek and Abe Ocampo story. In it, a man is tormented by dreams of a frightening character, hunched and drawn and just scary looking. And in his stress and strain, the man st- stops sleeping. He stops eating, he treats himself terribly, until one day he catches a sight of himself in the mirror, and he is the hunched, drawn, frightening creature from his own dreams. To me, the best quote-unquote weird stories are the ones that you can imagine being a Twilight Zone episode. And that one in particular definitely could be. Good batch of reads for Hashtag Horror Comics Month? I promise, Sir Martin, from here on in, For the rest of this episode, it's all superhero comics. Okay, except for this first one, but you could argue that this guy is a superhero. Because this is another bit of seasonal reading of a type, thanks to Hoopla, which does some of its recommendations based on pop culture events. Of course, in October, that included promoting a selection of Dynamite's James Bond comics. I've read and enjoyed two prior miniseries, and last month I read, and spoilers, enjoyed James Bond Black Box 1-6. through 6. One of the nice things about 007 as a property is that the main characters, M and Q, Felix, and of course Bond himself, have had so many different looks over the years, different characters, different performers, of course is that you can produce a series like this based on a licensed property without the need for specific actor likenesses. A good-looking English gentleman in a nice suit? Okay, I can believe that's Bond, because I've seen so many other versions of him. And I imagine that makes producing the Bond license a little less expensive than properties that would necessitate payments to performers. And within the world of these stories, there actually is a consistent art style and consistent character models for all the important people. But what I'm saying is they don't have to look like the actors for that to work. In this one, Bond is tasked to take out a Japanese mobster who's working on stealing important data from the internet for purposes of blackmailing VIPs, especially of a political nature, around the globe. Good idea, good story. And we get a good new Bond girl here, a redhead, who used to work for British Intelligence a few years ago. Presumed dead, but she's not dead. And Bond isn't totally sure whose side she's on. I also picked up Noir 1-5 through five, from Dynamite, which features the classic characters Miss Fury and the Shadow, and a new creation, the Black Sparrow, this new gal, is a mercenary of sorts, a thief for hire. But after she double-crosses a client, and they come after her, she enlists Miss Fury and the Shadow for protection. Because if one femme fatale is good, two is gonna be great! Actually, the Shadow is not in this for the action part of the adventure. He sort of almost serves in the framing sequence of the story. It's it so it is a team up of reluctant lady leads. And it was a pretty fun story. I've read some Miss Fury before and I've enjoyed that, and this was another fun old school adventure story. I mentioned the care package recently sent in by Manuel Carmona, made up mostly of some pretty good, pretty cheap comics. So I read a bunch of those, such as Alpha Flight two, three, twenty seven, thirty-one thirty-two. Thirty-five, forty, and 41. This starts with the John Byrne run, and those first few issues are pretty good. A little wordy, but good. Later in the run, Bill Mantlo takes over the writing, and by then there's a new Guardian, and we get a pretty intense origin story for Puck. Also some drama with Namor and, was it uh, Marina? I know there are people who love this title, and know of at least one person who can't stand it. Of course, I'm somewhere in the middle of those extremes. It is a little overwritten, both in the Burn and Mantlow issues. But there's some bits of really good, quite interesting stuff. But what made it not work for me was that there wasn't really a character that I could grab onto and just let them pull me through the stories. Shaman was maybe the closest, but for that reason, it sort of all fell flat for me. So, not a title I'm going to run out in a buying frenzy to try to fill the gaps. I'm okay with Alpha Flight for now, and probably for a while. Doom Patrol 248, 9, 10, and 12 from the John Arcudi run. This is the era of Ther Jost licensing the corporate name Doom Patrol and putting together a team to fulfill that. The conflicts, drama, characters coming in and out of the team. An alternate team of Doom patrollers. Just a lot of interesting stuff going on. Then around issue 8 or 9, Dorothy Spinner appears, as do many of her imaginary friends. That is when it starts to get weird, which tends to be every writer's take on the patrol for... mm, I'm going to say decades now. Sometimes that has worked, but sometimes I just want the Silver Age team of oddball heroes back in doing... well... Doing oddball superheroics. Although, should definitely say that I did like the business stuff, the licensing, the contracts, the team name and trademarks. And I readily acknowledge that liking those parts of the storyline puts me in a very, very small minority. <laughs> and JSA All Stars 3, 4, 9, and 10. Although I did get, again, at least one of those from the DC app to settle a cliffhanger. Again, this is an era of DC that I was out of for reading new books, about a year before the New 52 started up. And the nice thing is that recent batches of CW shows have made me more familiar with these interpretations of a lot of these characters than I would be otherwise, including Stargirl herself appears in these. But we also have Magog and Power Girl and other folk on the team. All of these issues had backup features, or as they say on the covers, secondary features, starring the team of Liberty Bell and Our Man, which I may have liked even more than the primary feature. The New Guardians 3 and 7, that crazy DC team book from the late 80s by Carrie Bates and Joe Staten, who I actually associate with DC from before the crisis. We have an AIDS story and then an Invasion Aftermath story. I've not read a ton of New Guardians, and these two issues confirmed that life choice. And from the DC app, I read from the Black Label imprint, Batman Catwoman 1-4, through which is as far as they have on the app uh, so far for this title. It's a story that spans generations and timelines, but is basically... Like many, many Batman stories about stopping the Joker one more time. I really enjoyed the Batman-Catwoman stuff in the recent DC, including the wedding, or spoilers, non-wedding. So following a similar story path into this title made sense for me, and I was happy to go along with the ride for this one. And yes, there is plenty to complain about, with the emphasis, overemphasis, yes on Joker in the last few yee decades. But I haven't read all of that stuff, so this one doesn't seem to me to be overkill. Your mileage certainly may vary. I enjoyed it, and the black label elements really weren't there at all. No naughty bits on display, and they even sound-affected out the bad words. So I wonder how this got to be a black label book other than... Additional prestige? Justifying a higher cover price? I'm not sure. Of course, the nice thing about reading on the app is I don't have to worry about a particular comic book's cover price. Sticking with the DC app, I wrapped up a series that, and I don't think I've ever heard these words uttered before, but a series that spun out of the Milk Wars event. Wrapping up a Young animal series that I read the earlier trades of last year, maybe the year before. Mother Panic, Gotham AD, 1 through 6. I like this character because I like a character running around Gotham who is rougher than Batman. Who Batman looks at and thinks, hey buddy, rein it in. In the usual mainstream DC world, that's the Huntress. But here it's Mother Panic. If there is a theme to these, it's the notion of sidekicks and legacy. In this alternate reality, Jason Todd is the only remaining member of the Bat family, and he's gone a little around the bend. So Violet, a.k.a. Mother Panic, has to deal with him, the Joker and his legacies, her own family, albeit from another dimension, and Fennec Fox, her own sidekick, who wants to join her in bringing a more murderous vibe to the heroing game. Nothing in Young Animal was awesome to me, but along with Cave Carson, Mother Panic was the one that worked well for me most often. And this was a solid enough wrap-up for the character. And I think that's everything. In terms of my favorite reads of the month, some of these are from Hashtag Horror Comics Month, of course, such as Tomb of Dracula. A Hellboy. That issue of Beowulf was just wild fun. And then I also enjoyed Noir and the James Bond mini. But in terms of my absolute favorite, I'm going with a current book, one which certainly does have a horror tinge. Something is Killing the Children, number 20. Favorite read of October. Next month, I'm not really sure what I'm going to be reading other than a whole bunch of war books for November. But other than that, who knows where the comic book muse will lead. But whatever I do end up reading, I will be here to talk about those books, the books that I read in November, and that episode ought to be out sometime in early December. Feel free to let me know what you think of this episode, what you think of any of these books that i mentioned, especially if you've read any of them. You can send that feedback via email, relativelygeeky at gmail.com, or as a comment on the Facebook or blog post for this episode, the blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, and you can follow the network on Twitter at relatively underscore geek, and of course the network, has its own page on Facebook as well. Come join us. All are welcome. Thanks for listening, and keep the pages turning.